Please bow with me as we pray for God's Spirit to bless our time this evening. Holy Father and provider of all good things, we thank you for bringing us here tonight. We thank you for bringing us to the cross. We thank you for bringing us into your church. We pray tonight, Lord, that as we consider um, the scriptures together, that your spirit would be among us, that he would teach us and instruct us and counsel us and help us to grow in both grace and godliness. Lord, I pray for myself tonight that I would speak what is in your word without leaving out anything or without adding in anything. And I pray that you would help all of us to have tender hearts and minds, softened consciences and renewed wills as we leave um, this service this evening. pray this in your name. Amen. Well, it really is a, a great privilege to be able to uh, share God's word with you one more time before we move to Michigan next month. Um, if you have your bulletins, uh, you'll see that the title of this sermon is Principles of Pastoral Care. Principles of Pastoral Care. And I wonder what comes to your mind when you read those words. Probably what you think is uh, that pastoral care has to do with what pastors are supposed to do in caring for their people, what shepherds, uh, what the responsibilities that shepherds have in caring for their flock. And that is usually how we use this phrase of pastoral care. We'll even talk about things like pastoral theology. And really what we mean by that is how do pastors take the theology that they've learned and apply that to the lives of their people in counseling or parenting and marriage situations and, and things like that? And that is certainly a worthy subject. It's something that the Bible talks about a lot. We read even in Ezekiel 34 some of what God had to say to those shepherds who were not doing what they were supposed to be doing. Um, it's something that the church has thought about a lot as well in talking about the responsibilities and roles of pastors and elders. But I want to look at this question from a slightly different angle. Um, I want to give us some principles of pastoral care that talk not so much about what pastors are supposed to do for us, but rather how we can care for our pastors. Now I have to say at the outset, um, Pastor Franks did not give this to me as an assignment. <laughs> he didn't pick this topic for me. I actually came to him and said, I'd really like to talk about this subject. And part of the reason why I wanted to talk about this subject uh, is kind of two-pronged. Number one, some of you know that just this last week was our denomination-wide General Assembly, which is the meeting where pastors from all over the country gather together to help do the work of the church, to help serve us um, and serve God's people. Um, and so I think it's, it's appropriate for us to, to take times to think about how we can care as well for these men who care so well for us. Uh, the other reason why I wanted to talk about this is I know that it's something that is not talked about a lot. I've been in the church my entire life. I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon on just this topic. And uh, I, even as I was preparing this sermon, I was looking through my library and I couldn't find a single book that is dedicated to talking about how congregations are supposed to care for their pastors. Uh, I actually did find one article uh, by a man named Chad Van Dixhorn, who's an OPC pastor, a sister church of ours, and he had this to say. He said, there are books that tell you how to take care of your children, your spouse, your house, your dog. There appear to be no end of books that tell you how to look after yourself. These are There are titles to aid teachers in helping students or lawyers in defending clients or pastors and caring for church members. But much harder to find are books that tell us 
how to look after those who look after us. How to help your mother train you in godliness. Six steps to your doctor's happiness. Looking after your teacher. Loving your lawyer. That would be a bestseller, I'm sure. (laughs) I'm not confident that we would benefit from all these titles, but one book that would be useful, but that I cannot find, is entitled Taking Care of Your Pastor. As it turns out, Taking Care of Your Pastor cannot be located because it's yet to be written. But it would be a book worth writing. After all, Scripture tells us to give the matter some thought when it reminds us to honor elders that rule well, but especially, as 1 Timothy 5 says, to honor those who labor in preaching and teaching. Uh, This was my experience, too. I was looking for resources. There's not a lot out there. And it's not because God's Word doesn't talk about this. As you'll see in a moment, there are passages in the Old and the New Testament that help us know what we are to do in caring for our elders and caring for our ministers. But I think part of why it's awkward is because the very men who are tasked with preaching and teaching these things um, are the ones who might be put on the spot by such a message. And so I'm not a pastor yet. Uh, I'm I'm wanting to, to become a pastor someday. But I think it is appropriate for us to consider what God's Word has to say. And I think what we'll find is that it, it says a lot more than just make sure they get a paycheck. Caring for our pastors is a, something that has a lot of breadth to it. And it goes far beyond just making sure they have enough money. So don't, don't, don't read this sermon as, as, as that message. Um, so what I want to do tonight is to consider some of these principles of pastoral care. And let me just give one caveat at the beginning. Um, We've read a number of passages already in our service this evening that talk about shepherds, elders, overseers, pastors. The New Testament uses those terms pretty much interchangeably. Really, the Bible knows two offices, elders and deacons. Um, So when I'm talking about pastors, I'm going to use that probably as the, the, the term that I fall back on the most. But I'm not just talking about the senior pastor. Uh, I'm talking about the men that God has put um, over our churches uh, in general. Now there are certain men, as 1 Timothy 5 says, who are particularly gifted and called to preach and to teach, and they are worthy of double honor. So some of the things I'm going to say tonight pertain particularly to them. But most of what I'm going to tell you is not just about the man who fills the pulpit. It's about the men who care for our souls uh, in our sessions, in our presbyteries, at the general assembly level, all of our elders. So uh, keep that in mind as we would go through. I'm going to be talking about pastors, but I really mean our elders as well. Uh, So that being said, how do we care for our pastors? What are some things that we can do, whether it's continue to do or begin to do, in um, taking on this responsibility? Well, I've talked to a lot of pastors. Like I said, I'm not a pastor yet, but I am hoping to be a pastor. I've been studying towards this and looking towards this. And in in doing that, I've talked to a lot of men and read a lot of articles and books and things. And something that I've heard again and again and again from men who don't feel cared for by their congregations, who don't feel supported and loved and, um, and looked after, is that Congregations often place expectations on men in their ministries that the Bible doesn't place on them. And if you've been in, around church life long enough, you, you know the kind of thing I'm talking about. We can get in our heads this idea that, well, we want the church to go in this direction. And we want this kind of man who has this personality or this vision to get us there. 
And what's left out of that equation is what God has said about the purpose of the church, the direction of the church, the plan he has for the church, and the qualifications which he has for ministers. Keep this in mind. Ministers are servants, but they only serve us because they serve Christ. And Christ is the one who gives their marching orders. Christ is the one who says, this is what you are to do. This is who you are to be as elders and ministers in my church. So I think the first place we need to start in knowing how to care for our shepherds is to know what the Bible expects of them so that we don't ask more or less than what God's word does. Now this is gonna be a flyby survey because there's a whole sermon series in talking about what elders are supposed to do. And as I looked at my bookshelves, there were a lot of books that explored that topic. Um, and if you're, if you're curious to learn more, I'd be happy to point you towards some resources. But I wanna look at just a few basic things. What are the essential tasks of a minister or of an elder? Well, turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter five. This is one of those topical sermons where we're going to be jumping all over the place, so keep your Bibles handy. Look at Acts chapter 5, and we'll start in verse 42, and I'll read through into chapter 6. Just to give context, as you know, the book of Acts chronicles the history of the early church, and at this stage it's focusing on the ministry of Peter and the apostles. So this this is the priorities that the apostles themselves had, just days after Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension. This is what they were about as they thought about the ministry of the church and specifically the ministry of the elders. Acts chapter 5, verse 42. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now this is an interesting text for a number of reasons. We probably know it most famously because this is where the office of deacon comes from. This this story in the book of Acts. But what's interesting is to see why deacons were appointed. To see why God created this office of deacon. And one way, deacons exist so that elders don't get distracted. That's oversimplifying it, but... Look at the text again. There is this need that was there to care for the widows of both the, 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 the Greek converts to, to the faith as well as the Jewish converts to Christianity. And there was a need to distribute bread, to distribute care, to care for these widows. This is not an unimportant task. It's a vitally important task. Part of the, the mercy work of the church, part of caring for the household of God. And yet, it is not the task that the elders are primarily called to fulfill. At the heart of their work, at the heart of their mission, is preaching and teaching, or as it says in verse four, the ministry of the word and of prayer. I love chapter five, verse 42, because it just sums up so well the focus of the elders of the early church. And every day, every day, not just on Sundays, every day in the temple, the house of God, 
and from house to house, throughout their communities, throughout the homes of their people, door to door. They did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ or as the Messiah. What we see from Acts chapter 5, and it's reflected uh, in other passages of Scripture as well, is that the task of an elder is the task of preaching and teaching God's Word. There are other things that he might do at different points and at different times, and we'll look at some of those in a moment, but this is at the heart of things. If you've ever read through the uh, pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus, you'll see this theme emerge again and again and again. We don't have time to turn there tonight, but in 1 Timothy 4, Paul, the older minister, speaking to Timothy, the younger minister, says, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. In fact, he says, keep a close watch on yourself and your teaching, for by so doing you will save yourself and your hearers. Paul doesn't zone in on social work or political involvement or cultural achievement or any of these other things, things which might be worthy goals for individual Christians, and yet they're not the focus of the minister. His focus is to be on the preaching and ministry of the word. All of us have probably memorized or at least are familiar with 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, right? All scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. Well, the context of that is that Paul is speaking again to a pastor and he's telling him this is what you have to work with, the word of God. Not your own ideas, not your own opinions, not your own vision or goals or dreams. The Word of God is all that is necessary for the work that you have been given. And actually, if you continue on into chapter 4, Paul has something really striking. I, I never really noticed this before. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Timothy, 3, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. And just look at how strongly Paul puts this call to preach. Paul says this, I charge you, Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God... And of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions." Paul actually says, I charge you in the presence of Christ, who is the judge, who will judge the living and the dead. This is what you are to do. This is to be at the heart of your ministry. This is what you are to be prepared to do with a drop of a hat, in season and out of season. The, min the ministry of the word and prayer is vital to the work of a minister. But is that all that pastors are called to do? You may be listening to me talk and thinking, wait a minute, is he sort of saying pastors don't have to be involved in the lives of their people? They can just be in their study during the week, come out on a Sunday, preach a good sermon, and disappear for another six days? Well, not at all. Uh, remember Ezekiel 34 that was read earlier, when God is indicting the shepherds of Israel for their faithlessness. What are the things that he condemns them for? Part of it is they were not feeding the sheep. They were not teaching and preaching properly and fully. But he also says you did not care for them. You did not heal them. You did not seek out the lost. There is more to being a shepherd than just the ministry of the word. There is also the ministry of shepherding. We can think of this in terms of the, the pulpit ministry of the pastor, but also the parish ministry of the pastor. You know, in, 
in uh, most of the church's history, ministers were given responsibility for a certain geographical area, and they were called to care for the people under their um, authority and responsibility. And I think there's a, while we don't structure things the same way today, there's a principle there that we need to recover, which is that pastors are called to care for people, to care for the sheep, to seek out the sheep. We see this uh, strikingly in 1 Peter chapter 5. I invite you to turn with me. Keep in mind as we look at 1 Peter that uh, this is written by the apostle who denied Christ three times. And after Christ was resurrected and uh, walking with his disciples once again, there was an encounter that Peter had with Christ on the beach. John records this at the end of his book. And Christ asks, asks him three times, again and again, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And each time, Peter says, Lord, you know you know all things. You know that I love you. And, P- and Jesus says to Peter each time, then feed my sheep, tend my lambs. You can almost imagine Peter having that conversation in his head as he writes 1 Peter chapter 5, where he says this in verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Shepherds are called to care for the sheep. Pastors are called to care for their people, and they are to do so with a pure heart. Uh, one of the, the uh, kind of dangers of focusing in on how should we care for our pastors is that some people might take this as an apologetic for those ministers, ministers that you see on TV who say, you need to give me all this money so that I can buy a second private jet. That's not what we're talking about. Peter explicitly calls out and warns ministers against that attitude. They are not to serve for shameful gain. They are not to serve for power by domineering over those in their charge. They are to serve as Christ served in humility and frugality and uh, looking forward to the reward that they have in heaven. That is what congregations can expect from their pastors. Not necessarily for them to be the most charismatic personality, not necessarily for them to build the biggest program or um, congregation the world has ever seen, but instead to be faithful in the ministry of the word and prayer and to be faithful in the ministry of shepherding, caring for God's people. If we keep that in our minds, if we keep that firmly fixed in our vision, that goes a long way towards helping us to know how we can support and encourage our pastors and our elders Because the question that emerges is, if this is what they are supposed to be doing, are we making it easier for them to do their job or harder for them to do their job? If we put expectations and and, uh, priorities on the ministry of the church that go beyond what Scripture says, there's only so many hours in a day. There are so many men that I know in in the ministry who feel like they don't have time to spend in prayer or to spend in God's Word because their church is full of programs and meetings and agendas and initiatives and we can easily be distracted by things that might even be good but can push out the best things, the the central things. So keeping that in mind is a helpful first step. 
what are some specific ways that we can care for our leaders, that we can care for our elders? Well, I'd point you once again to uh, the, the catechism question we recited earlier. It's a wonderful guide to saying, how do we submit to and support those who are in authority over us? And that applies not only to elders, but to your boss and your parents and you know anyone who's in a position of authority over you. But it certainly applies to our leaders in the church. Uh, But building on that, there are some specific things that we can keep in mind. I think the first thing that shepherds can expect from their congregations that we should do in caring for those who care for us is to respect and receive their ministry. If you have your Bible open in 1 Peter 5, let's continue reading. I stopped in verse 4, but in 1 Peter 5, 5, he shifts his attention to you and to me, to the lay people um, in the church. And he says this, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. One of the ways that we care for our elders is by valuing their ministry, is by submitting to their rule, recognizing that God is the one who has put them in a position of authority over us. And so we subject ourselves to them in humility, clothing ourselves in humility. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 through 13, we read this earlier, but it's a wonderful text that talks about how we are to care for our elders. It says this, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12. This is Paul again writing to the church. He says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Look at the words that Paul uses. Respect, esteem, esteem very highly, esteem very highly in love. Does that mirror your attitude to the elders who God has placed over you, to the ministers whose ministry you sit under? If you're like me, you probably are tempted to grumble and complain, to point out all the ways that elders could be doing their job better, to point out how this sermon could have been delivered more effectively. You're probably thinking that right now. But Paul calls us to a different mindset, doesn't he? He calls us to respect those who labor among us. He calls us to esteem them highly. He calls us to love them, to have affection for them. And that's one way that we can minister to our ministers is by receiving and respecting their ministry. If you struggle with this, a, a verse you might want to consider memorizing is Hebrews 13:17. The writer of the Hebrews calls his hearers to obey their leaders, and he gives an interesting reason for it. He says, "Obey your leaders because God has put your souls under their care, and they will have to give an account for how they care for your souls." And so he says, so don't make their job harder than it already is. Let them serve with joy, not with groaning. It's the way that Hebrews puts it. We need to keep that in mind as we respect and receive the ministry of our elders. They are not perfect. They will make mistakes. And there are times when we might even need to correct or challenge or bring an appeal um, for misuse of authority. We probably all heard of or maybe even been in churches where elders have abused their authority. And that's a grievous thing. Ezekiel 34 shows you God's heart on that matter. And yet, our fundamental attitude should be one of respect and submission and subjection to the ministry of the elders. 
Now let me give you some, some really practical ways that you can communicate this heart and this attitude to your pastor. Uh, I think one thing that we need to do is to seek out their ministry. Uh, Malachi chapter 2, verse 7 is an interesting passage. And in it, uh, the prophet says, The lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and the people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. And Malachi 2.7 is a great verse because it kind of looks at both sides of this. On the one hand, it looks at the responsibility of God's minister. In the Old Testament, it was the priest. In the New Testament, now it's the elder. And that man is called to, to, to guard knowledge with his mouth. He is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. You see, again, the centrality of the word of God in the calling of God's ministers. But it also talks about what we are to do. What are we as the people to do in response to these ministers? We are to seek out instruction from their mouth. If, if the ministry of the word is central to the work of a pastor, then we need to show him that we value that. We need to show him that we respect the teaching of the elders, whether it's a Sunday school or a sermon, or even just a conversation of spiritual things that blesses you. Seek out their ministry. Seek out their input. Seek out the wisdom they have from God's word. And with that, tell them what God is doing in your life, how you are growing, and give concrete feedback about the fruit of their ministry. This is something that tremendously encourages godly ministers, godly pastors. Um, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6 and 7. Probably just a few pages over from where we were. 1 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 7. Here's Paul again writing to the Thessalonian church, and here's what he says. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Did you know that 70% of pastors say they don't really have a close friend, someone that they consider as a close friend? And I think something like 80% of pastors would say they feel isolated in their ministry. It's the, it's the, the, the rule, not the exception to the rule, sadly. Paul was not immune from this. We see that he is in the midst of distress. He is in the midst of afflictions. But what is it that draws him out of that? What is it that brings him comfort? What is it that allows him to say in verse 8, for now we live? It's knowing that the Thessalonians are standing firm. It's knowing that they have faith and love and that they remember him kindly. It's seeing how his ministry has borne fruit in their lives. That is his blessing. That is his joy. What is it that the Apostle John says in 3 John 1.4? I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in the truth, that they're walking in the light. That is the heart cry of every pastor, of every elder. Their entire task is to preach and teach God's word and care for your soul. And so if your soul is being cared for, tell them that. So often we, we don't share these things, maybe partially because we don't know how to say it or sometimes we are afraid of giving our pastors a big head. We don't want to tempt them to pride and so we just don't say anything. Um, and, and pride can be a real temptation. But if I might share just kind of one practical tip, something I've uh, experienced, um, both being on both sides of the lectern, as it were. Um, 
If you have been blessed by someone's teaching or preaching, give them praise, but praise the message, not the messenger, if I can put it that way. It can be a temptation for a man to be puffed up with pride if people are always coming up and giving him that pat on the back of, wow, you're so gifted. You say things so well. That was such a wonderful sermon. That kind of feedback, while it can be encouraging, can also have a kind of fish hook in there. There can be a snare. But one way of kind of working around that is to go and praise the message that he has given. Because what ministered to you is not the giftedness of some man. It's the word of God. He knows that, and you know that, and so focus your praise on that. Remind him, or excuse me, thank him for reminding you of what God's word says about a particular topic. Or if you felt convicted by a message that was given, tell your pastor that. That will be a tremendous encouragement to him, and it's probably one of the primary ways that we can care for our pastors when they see the fruit being born um, right before their eyes. Um, However, we are also called to care for their physical needs uh, as well. And uh, there are a number of texts to talk about this. This is uh, something that was consistent in the Old Testament, that the Levites, those who ministered in the temple, were to receive their living from the temple. Paul brings that forward into the New Testament as well and shows how we are to care for and provide for the needs of our ministers. Uh, But we'll look at just, just one text together tonight, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 7, uh, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and uh, they had struggles, they had difficulties. And one of their difficulties is they were kind of resentful of the thought that they might have to support those who ministered in their midst. And so Paul confronts this head on. And he actually says at the end of this passage, we won't get all the way there, but he actually says, I'm, I'm going to forego this right of being supported financially, but that's the exception, not the rule. You know, uh, he says, this is actually something that ministers should be able to expect. Those who labor among you, the elders, should be able to expect support. And listen to his reasoning for this. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 7. He says, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? (coughs) Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Paul's logic here is pretty straightforward. It's pretty simple. He starts with a series of questions. You know, you might have this attitude of saying, well, you know, really, ministers shouldn't serve for money. They should serve out of love for God. That's true. 1 Peter 5 says as much. But if we use that as an excuse to not support those who care for us, we're really using a double standard. Look at his first question in verse 7. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? How many of you would feel comfortable walking up to a Marine or a Navy SEAL and saying, you know, I really don't feel like I should be paying you for what you do. You should be doing this just because you love your country and out of the, the honor of serving. Well, most people I've met who are in the military do serve because they love their country and it is an honor to serve. And yet we also recognize that 
it is fitting for us to support them in that service. They do not serve at their own expense. The same is true for farmers. The same is true for shepherds. There's a general principle, as Paul says, that those who sow should also reap. This doesn't mean, again, that we give our pastors massive mansions or exorbitant salaries, but they should not have to worry about all the day-to-day things of life um, and be so caught up in those things that they're not able, again, to devote themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. That's at the heart of things. And this can mean more than just a salary. Um, It could mean giving vacation or study leave, uh, helping to pay for conferences, giving a book allowance. Again, the mentality we should have is how can we help our ministers How can we help our elders do what God has called them to do? And part of that is providing for their physical needs. Let me add in one more dimension to this and then we'll move on to our our last point. But part of caring for their physical needs is not just their financial needs. It was interesting, um, I was reading from some of the writings of a man named Archibald Alexander who was the first professor at Princeton Seminary. And uh, he talks about the physical requirements of, a, of, a, of an elder or of a minister, which we don't usually talk about. But what he meant was this. He said, part of being a faithful minister is caring for your health, getting the right amount of sleep, having a good diet. There are many men who have been used mightily of God, whose ministries have been cut short because they neglected their bodies and died an early death. Um, are we in our churches encouraging our pastors to live life at such a breakneck speed and to put so many responsibilities on their back that they don't get good sleep, they don't have time with their family, they don't have time just to rest? These are real struggles that exist. We need to be proactive. It's very difficult for a pastor to say, I feel like I need more time for this. Um, We need to be caring enough for them to anticipate those things and looking for how we can care for them. And this is just part of loving each other in the body of Christ again. So providing for their physical needs, but providing also for their spiritual needs. And this is the last thing I want to mention tonight. Um, First Timothy, we spent a lot of time in the pastoral epistles tonight because it talks a lot about the role of pastors. Look at First Timothy chapter 4. This is another very common verse. But think about this in the context of the calling of a minister. We tend to just apply this to us, and it does apply to us, but it applies particularly to a minister. First Timothy 4, verses 6 through 8. Paul says, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Now, what does these verses have to say about caring for our elders spiritually? Well, stick with me for a moment. Paul places this call on Timothy as an elder, as a pastor. You must care for your soul as well as for your body. You must train yourself in godliness. The question I have for us as Christians is as we look at our elders, as we look at our pastors, do we make it easy or hard for them to fulfill this command? Do we help to safeguard time and opportunities for them to grow in their faith, to train themselves in godliness? Do we prioritize the right things? I've said this before. It's really a simple idea, but it's something that we need to meditate on. Are we caring for the spiritual needs, for the soul of our pastors, as well as for their bank account? 
This is at the heart of how we can love one another, isn't it? To help each other grow in faith. And ultimately, one of the best ways we can do this is by praying for our pastors. The last text we'll look at is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. Prayer is vitally important to the work of ministry, and ministers need us to pray with them and to pray for them. Paul says it explicitly. He underscores how vital this work of prayer is in, in, in supporting the work of ministry. 2 Corinthians 1.11 he says, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. One of the ways you can support your pastor is by praying for him. When was the last time that you prayed for your elders? When was the last time that you told your elders you were praying for them? When was the last time that you asked your elders, how can I pray for you? These are simple things that any of us can do. Kids, you can do this. You can go up to your elders and say, I'm going to pray for you this week. And that can be a blessing and an encouragement to them. Father's Day is Father's Day. As you lead your homes, as you lead your homes in family worship, do you regularly pray for your pastors? Do you regularly pray for your elders, for those that God has put in authority over you? It's one of the things that we are called to do. And it's something that can be a blessing to them. Now, I want to address one final thing uh, before we close, um, and that is, what is the ultimate reason why we would do all of this? Why would we care so much to care for our pastors? Well, if you have a really great pastor who is a gifted preacher and uh, you know really outgoing, friendly guy, and you just get along well with him and you appreciate his ministry, it can be really easy to do these things because you value what he does. But what if you have an elder or a pastor who's not the most gifted communicator? He's a faithful preacher. I'm not talking about a man who can't teach or can't preach or who preaches false things. But he's not the most dynamic. He's not the one who just you click with every time. Um, or maybe you even have a, a minister or an elder who um, could be doing a better job than what he is doing. Why would you apply these principles of pastoral care in that situation? Well, I want to draw your mind back to Ezekiel 34 and then to 1 Peter 5. As, as Pastor Franks mentioned, Ezekiel 34 is a prophecy where God is calling out the false shepherds of Israel, but he's also pointing forward to the true shepherd of Israel. And he says, it will be my son David who will be that shepherd. Now, what does he mean? Because by the time Ezekiel was writing, David was long gone. Well, if you're familiar with the New Testament, you know what he means. He meant what Peter was talking about in 1 Peter 5. There is a chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, who rules and reigns in the church. And at the end of the day, the reason why we care for our pastors and the way that the Bible calls us to is not just because they've earned it or because we like the way that they preach or we like um, the way that they do ministry. It's out of obedience and love for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the shepherd to whom we submit. And even if there is a man who could be doing better than he is, as Hebrews makes clear, as Ezekiel makes clear, Christ will hold him accountable. That's not our job to necessarily even all those debts right now. Christ will take care of that. Our calling, our mission, and our privilege as believers is to care for those who care for us. Um, I hope this has been a a helpful thing to, to challenge us to think about how we can continue to care for our pastors and continue to care for our elders. Uh, let me invite you to, to take a moment just to silently meditate 
on the preaching of God's word. And then I'll close us in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the fact that you have given gifts to men and given men to the church to help guide and teach and encourage and train up and oversee the life of your body. We thank you for all the godly pastors that we've known, whose ministries we've sat under, whose teaching we've received, whose preaching we have profited from over the many years. Um, and we pray, Lord, that you would continue to raise up faithful men as ministers and as elders. Lord, we pray for elders here at Kirk of the Plains, not only for a provisional session, but even for local leadership that could be raised up to care for this church, to shepherd the souls of this body. But Lord, we pray also for our responsibility as people in the pew, as laymen, laywomen, that you would help us to be aware of the, the ways that we can support and encourage our pastors, support and encourage our elders, uh, whether it's making sure that there's a paycheck in the bank or praying for them or telling them about the, the way that their ministry, their focus on the ministry of the word has been a blessing in our lives. We pray that we would look for those opportunities to build one another up in love and to, to clothe ourselves with humility. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, who is the great high shepherd. Amen. Let me invite